You are listening to another episode of Beyond Clean with Ace, a service of the Academy of Cleaning Excellence. I'm your host, Dave Thompson. And since you're listening, you might as well know that you're about to hear us talk about something which has to be healthy, positive, and or proactive in the cleaning industry today. In 2018, the Academy launched the Rockstar series of motivational sessions in addition to our tactical classes, which are instructed weekly around the U.S. Now, industry professionals are here to talk share their thoughts, and let you know what's on their mind. So turn up the sound and let's get talking. Okay, folks, you've been with us before, and, well, if you're listening on Podbean or, well, whatever channel that you listen to, well, you're listening to us. If, in fact, you're watching on YouTube, well, you can see that I'm not alone, and I usually am not because you didn't come here to listen to me. You listened to me enough. But I have with me Alan Langer, and Alan, you know what, instead of me telling about you, you tell them because I'm sure you'll do a better job, Alan. <laughs> well, thank you. So, um, yeah, so my name's Alan Langer, and I've uh, been in sales for close to 30 years of my life, and I know you found me because of the book I published uh, this year called The Seven Secrets to Selling More by Selling Less. And uh, I help people and salespeople and organizations um, increase their sales by actually uh, forgetting about the sales pitch and concentrating on the customer instead. That's, that's the basic premise of, of my whole teachings, which it may sound rudimentary or it may sound you know, not like rocket science, but it's amazing when you look at sales training, nobody trains salespeople to help the customer, they just train to sell them. And that's the problem. Alan, where were you 35 years ago when I started sales when nobody taught me? <laughs> you know, the thing exactly. is, is, I went into sales, they simply gave me a catalog, said, there's the street, and we expect this amount of money uh, sold. Exactly. Yep. So now they, now they say, here, go, go for two weeks of training, and let's beat you over the head with every possible product specification, including the size of the screws. And that's what you're supposed to present to the customer. But don't worry about, you know, and then this is how you handle objections. Well, no one teaches you, well, why are you getting the objections in the first place? So uh, that, that's, that's what I focus on. That's where I became successful in selling when I started doing that. Okay, Alan, I kind of done a little bit of research on you because, you know, we have the Internet this, these days and <laughs> I can do that. So uh, thank you for putting things on your website and your podcast so I can check you out. Good. My pleasure. Right. So, so I found your seven secrets. Uh, they're not quite so secret because I found them. Yep. <laughs> do you want to tell everybody what? Do you want to tell everybody what they are? Or should I? Well, why don't you? Since you looked at them, why don't you tell me um, what you're interested in the most, and we'll and ask me questions, and we'll go from there. Well, I want I want to talk about all seven of them. I mean, you know, all we've right. got half an hour. Let's okay. not spend all of our time on that. But hey. You know what, it, folks, if you're listening or watching, sales is sales. And I've always said this, and you tell me what you think. The only difference between us, you and I, and you know, professionals, if you want to go that way, is that you and I know when to do it, how to do it, to do it for the right reason so everybody wins. Correct. Right, exactly. See, the... the, the I mentioned this at the beginning. The problem is if, if let's say you go into a, a sales organization, you get hired to be a sales rep. They send you for the training and they do all the training about the product. And then you come out and you're expected to go out and, and sell the product. But, they're, but they're, 
the biggest thing I learned was no one is selling a product. You're never selling a product. Like if I'm doing a seminar, I point to someone and say, what do you sell? He says, I sell financial services. I'm like, nope, you don't. What do you sell? Uh, I, I sell toilet paper. Nope, you don't. You sell the financial service. You sell peaceful retirement. Uh, you, you sell a feeling to be comfortable when you're retiring. You know, you don't sell toilet paper. You sell a, a, a clean experience in the bathroom, whatever I, it is. I sell a clean bottom. Come on, dude. Yeah, a clean, a clean yeah. bottom. <laughs> <laughs> So if, 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 if salespeople just did one thing and said, I don't sell the product, I sell the feeling that the customer gets after they purchase the product, that's when you'll be successful because you're so focused on the product that the customer doesn't want the product, they want the solution solved. They want their problem solved. Well, and, and you're absolutely right. And so I think the thing is, is the first thing that you have on your list is make the switch. Yeah. And I, I really like that because you know what? I used to run a janitorial operation. I got rid of that and I said, let me go into sales. And the, for the first year, it was so hard to go and say, I'm a salesman. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. That's, that's another part is like people don't like the word. They don't want to be considered salesmen because for some reason it's, it's like a, uh, it's like a black, you know, a black mark on you because it's like, oh, I don't want to be a salesman. Who wants to be a salesman? And it's simply, you know, I talk about that in my book as well. Like, how did we get to that point where, you know, the, the very first sentence in my book is I asked, I did a survey when I started writing my book. I asked 231 people that I met over a two-week period. I asked every single one of them this question. Do you like meeting with a salesperson? And the answer, all 231, said no. So on one hand, you got nobody wants to meet with salespeople, but you got to buy stuff. So how does that work? And And... People are always searching for the salesperson that they like. Like once they find a salesperson that they actually like, it's like finding, you know, that golden nugget on the street. Oh my God, you have to talk to this guy. He's, the, he's, does, he's not like a salesperson. Because salespeople are, are, are vilified because all they want to do is sell you. And, and, they, and you feel, feel like you're going to get ripped off. You feel like they don't, you don't trust them. All of that stuff comes into play. And, and so as you said in, in, in some of the pieces I watched is that, the other thing is, is people don't want to be that salesperson. So, you know, one of the things I always said is there's one single word that everybody has to say before I can go on with that conversation. And what's that? No. Right. <laughs> you know, the thing is, is, and I think was to your point that you mentioned in one of your videos is that whenever you walk up to somebody and you're there to purchase something and they say, can I help you? The first thing you say is, no, or I'm just looking. Right, and you have to let everybody get over that, and then you can make the switch over to, I'm there to help you, I'm here to consult with you. Right, well, here's the reason. You ever think of why are they saying that? What is the reason? And, and one of my secrets, I think it's secret uh, six, it's called crack the window. It's about the anxiety of making a purchase. Everybody has purchase anxiety. So when you walk into a store, you're immediately your, your, your senses get heightened, your blood pressure goes up, this is all proven, your heart rate goes up because you're actually in the process of maybe buying something. So before you get, so if someone comes up to you and says, can I help you, you they're kind of rushing you into that decision. You right. don't even think, it's automatic, you just say, I, I'm just looking, because that's gonna relieve the anxiety. You don't wanna get toward that purchase decision yet. So that's the same thing when you're in a sales situation. I gotta think about it at the end of it. 
They're not saying they don't have to think about it. They're relieving the anxiety because they don't want to go forward with the purchase because of the anxiety. So, so whenever you say make the switch, I yeah. say just get over it. Right. So make, make the switch is, is the first premise. Basically, I tell people, you know, every salesperson goes into an, uh, an appointment or a sales presentation with the thought, I have to make this sale. That's right. what they're thinking. I have to sell sure. this. I say, no, switch that. Forget about selling it. Just say, I have to help this person. I'm here to help you. I'm not here to sell you. I tell, I tell the people I train three times before you see someone, say that three times. I'm here to help this customer. I'm not here to sell them. And you'll be amazed if you're focusing on helping them rather than selling the product, how much more you'll actually sell. Because if you focus just on selling, the helping part is out the window. Well, and I think that's the title of your book, Selling More by Selling Less. By Selling Less, correct. Yep. I'm not selling, I'm consulting, I'm helping. I'm helping, yes. And that, okay. goes to, that goes to secret two. There we go. I was going to say, hey, we walked right into secret two, right? <laughs> this, I think, is one of my most popular ones for companies because they love the mindset. Because uh, the term, it has to do with, the, it's called the helping percentage. The chapter is called the helping percentage. And what it means is, I tell people, change the term closing percentage to helping percentage. Because the term closing percentage, to me, all throughout my entire selling career felt very adversarial. It felt like it was, you know, like I closed that customer. I got him. You know, I, I got him to do something they didn't want to do. So if you change that, how many people did you help today instead of how many people did you close? Again, your mindset has changed. Correct. And, and that's the biggest thing, is, isn't it, Alan? It's changing my mindset as a salesperson first. Mm -hmm. And so then that way, my client, my customer, whoever you want to term that, accepts me the way that I really want to be put out. Right. And they realize, you know, if, if you actually say that to a customer, like, just so you know, Mr. Smith, I'm here to help you today. I'm not here to sell you anything. The look of relief on their face is palpable. It's literally like it happens every time. And they are completely relaxed with you and they open up immediately. If you just go into your sales presentation and you're stupid, you know, how's the weather? How's, how's your holiday shopping? You know, crap questions that, that the salespeople are made to ask. They're going to have their guard up the whole time. And then that's anxiety there and they're not going to make the purchase. That's where the objections come from. And I think that any long-term professional salesperson is going to tell you that we've went through both of these stages. What do you mean by that? Well, I, the thing is, is we went through the get over it stage, just accept who you are and get over it oh, yeah. and helping. And yep. then along the way, we found out that what we were doing wasn't that. And then we adopted that, but we didn't actually term it. And so what you're doing here is you're putting terms to what most people that's in the sales profession do, but don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. The good ones, you know, well, the, I, the yeah. Ones, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the ones that struggle or the average salesperson who closes 30%. And, and here's another thing in my book. It's like, how is 30%, how's the, how's the closing percentage of 30% considered successful? Most companies, if you go to an organization, they want their sales team closing 30%. They think that that's, that's, our, that's good. You're, you're going to have a job here if you close 30%. I once sat down with my boss when I was, when I was selling Anderson Windows, and I said, and we had our, our minimum standard was 30%. Like, if you close 30, you're good. And I said, let me put it to you this way. If our sales team saw 100 prospects this week and 70 of them told us no, how is that a successful ratio? Look at, it from the, look at the people that didn't buy from us. Don't look at the 30 that said, hey, I'm going to do this. There are 70 people saying, 
no, I didn't like what you said. I think that's a problem. And so then like, what you're Whoa. saying, Alan, is you're saying that 70% of the time I'm not effective and that's okay. Exactly right. You're saying 70% of the time I'm not, t not making this customer feel like I'm helping them, but that's okay because we just have more appointments coming up. That's not okay. And yeah, when, when did that become acceptable in any language? Yeah, exactly. Only in baseball. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, baseball fans, I think we may have just interrupted their day. Okay, yeah, I, I think batting averages need to probably be better than 30%, right? <laughs> exactly. I'm not a big baseball guy, but I can figure that one out. Yeah, exactly. All right, so, so now I, I think that you also said percentages, and that what, that's what we're talking about here. What are the other percentages that you talk about? Well, um, I mean, there's so many, there's so many numbers with, with, with regard to sales and, and, and so many uh, salespeople get hung up on their numbers. And one of the things I, I, uh, I don't like is like, there's so many, like if you go on LinkedIn, there's so many different sales groups and stuff you can change, you can join. Oh, yeah. and, and, yeah. and there's this one, I forget the name of it, but all they do is they send out these memes about, how you have to hit your numbers and how to have to you have to hit your quotas and and how your sales manager carries you across the finish line and all this stuff and none of it has anything to do with the customer it's all about the salesperson and it drives me crazy because sales is not about the salesperson sales is always always about the customer and if you're sitting there and you're a sales manager and all you're telling your guys to do is focus on your numbers they're not going to be successful they need to forget about the numbers. And that's a hard thing for, cuts, for companies to accept. They, I, I talk to companies, I get a lot of pushback on that. Like, what do you mean not focus on the numbers? That we have to hit the numbers. I'm like, yeah, you're going to hit the numbers. If you do it this way, you'll actually surpass your numbers. Well, and what you're doing is you're talking about, Alan, creating a different mindset. And whenever we change our mindset, then we achieve better. Absolutely. 100%. Okay. Yep. So let's go to that body of evidence, which is number three. Yeah, so that's body language. And another thing that blows me away, because I did a lot. Of, so I had all these, these things that I was doing in sales. And, and like you said, I finally put it down and I, and I came up with the seven secrets that I was doing. But I didn't want to just say, hey, listen to me because these work for me. I did a lot of research on these techniques that I use. And everything is backed up by scientific uh, studies and, and, and all of these things that have been discovered. And one of them is, is body language should be, in my opinion, the number one thing salespeople are taught before they even learn about the product. Well, that, sales... that, that's communication. It's the most, most viable of, uh, way of communication and people don't even think about it. Don't even think about it and it's never ever trained in any sales organization. They never train a salesperson to actually recognize basic body language clues. I mean, we're talking simple like pursing your lips and and an eye roll and things like that, that salespeople literally just completely ignore and they just plow along with their sales pitch. Meanwhile, you got the person in front of them saying, All right, when is my tea time coming up? Because I got to get out of here. So right about now, the people that are watching us on YouTube are looking at all, both of our body languages, trying to figure out exactly what we're <laughs> trying to say, right? Well, it, it's, it's hopefully it's coming across as very comfortable and, and you know, both of us are, are enjoying the conversation. So it's not like, you know, you, you, you can tell, see, the thing, the beauty about body language is even if you don't know anything about it, you still, you get clues and you get these feelings and you're like, I don't like that the way that person's talking to this other person or, or they just look different and you don't know why. So if you actually study body language and find out why it's actually happening, 
oh my God, you're, you're going to be such a success. Just do that. <laughs> Just study body right. language. Your cells will go up. Ellen, as you're talking about this, my wife, whenever she listens to this, she's going to go, okay, so now I know what you were doing all these times when we went to the shopping mall and all you did is you said, I'm going to sit here and watch people. She didn't actually know what I was doing as I was studying people as part of my craft. Absolutely. Nobody was study it. I had to learn it on my own. Got to study it. Yeah. So I, I had that whole body of evidence chapter is, is uh, basically, uh, I try to break it down very simply, you know, the, 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 the face, the eyes, the legs, the torso, very simple stuff, basic body language stuff to help a salesperson just become a little better. And, and really the, the whole point is pay attention. Don't just go through your presentation and not look at what the, what the, how, not only how the customer is reacting to you, but how you are coming across to the customer. Okay, so let me ask two questions because I normally don't do this, but I, I have these questions in my head and I want to ask you in your experience. What right. is the number one hardest body language for most salespeople to recognize? Okay, I'm going to answer that with, with a question for you. Uh -oh. What do you think is the easiest part of the body to read, if you had a guess? Oh, the easiest part? Yeah. If you had to read someone's body language, what do you think would, would, would tell you immediately what's the, what's the most accurate, not the easiest? What do you think the most accurate is? Well, you know what? Everybody says the eyes, but you know the eyes can lie, and I'm probably going to go with the mouth because, you know, I, I, whenever I'm – I mean, I've got students all the time, and I always watch their mouth first. I don't know if that's right or not, but, hey, it's what I do. It's actually not. So you're, you're about 100% of the time people will answer that question and saying the face, the eyes, the mouth, all of that is the most accurate tell of how a person's feeling. It's not true. It's actually the least accurate because the face can be manipulated quite easily, especially from a smile standpoint. Okay. The most, at, the most accurate part of a body to, to watch are the feet and the legs. Really? The feet and the legs will never, ever lie. So for example... Uh, well, I'm, glad, I'm glad that they can't see any one of those by right now, so we don't know if we're lying or not. <laughs> That's where it makes it a little difficult. But see, if you can get yourself in a position to, to watch feet and legs, it's going to help you. But, for example, one of the studies that was done was um, they at, at a uh, when you go to an airport and you go through customs, they ask you if you have anything to declare. So this study was done where if they if someone said no, I don't have anything to declare, and their feet were facing the officer they were telling the truth 100% of the time. If their feet were facing the exit, very subtly facing the exit, they were lying 89% of the time when they said I didn't have anything to declare. Because wow. subconsciously, they wanted to get out of there quicker so their feet were facing the exit. So it, there's a lot of things to look at from a, from a foot shake to a, how you cross your legs and different things that will tell you if the customer likes you or not. Literally will tell you if, if you're facing a customer and their feet are not facing you, you're doing something wrong. Even something I'll like tell you, that. I, you know what? I've talked to a lot of people in my career, and I've never heard this. And so, you know, hey, that's why we have conversations, right? Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. So when I was in an in-home selling situation, they always tell you, sit at the kitchen table and put the, the husband here and the wife there. I'm like, no, I sit in the living room so I can have a, a totally open conversation and I can watch their feet and legs. Wow. I would have never. See, I was wrong. I, hey, I, I, I belong with everybody else, right? Okay, so, so hey, you, the, the reason that we have conversation, we have these interviews or conversations, I don't like calling it an interview, it's more of a conversation. Absolutely. Is so that we can learn these things and share and that. But, you know, I got to tell you, I'm having a hard time. I'm looking at that wine list behind you, and it's like, you know what? <laughs> 
I, I'm in the wrong freaking place. <laughs> well, it's only, uh, what is it, 11.30 here, so uh, still, bar's not open yet. <laughs> okay, so I, <laughs> okay, so where are you? I gotta, I gotta ask, I didn't ask that, Alan. I'm in, I'm in Rhode Island, East Greenwich, Rhode, Rhode Island. Island. Yes. Okay, so uh, let's see, the weather isn't all that great. No, it's 16 degrees today, actually. <laughs> okay, I ain't gonna get in on that. Okay, let's go to social selling. I like this one. Yeah, so social selling, when, I, when people see that chapter, they think it's about you know in, Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn. It has nothing to do with that. It's about the oh, yeah. psychological uh, uh, aspects of being a social person. And when you can, in a nutshell, when a, when a person feels comfortable within a group and they feel like they're part of a group, they're going to be more comfortable making a decision that mirrors that group. Very basic basic stuff, but again, people don't use it to sell. So, for example, you know, you're walking down the street. It's the it's the classic. Someone starts to look up. Everybody starts to look up because they're feeling more comfortable. Like, oh, he's looking up. I'm going to look up, and everybody follows the group. So it's as simple as if you're selling. Let's go back to your you know your toilet paper days, and you say you're sitting with Joe Smith, and you're like, you know, I want you to buy six tons of toilet paper. And he's, you know, he's, that's, that's all you tell him. Well, why? But if you say, I want you to buy six tons of toilet paper because these four businesses within a three-block area bought the same toilet paper in the same amount, that guy now feels so much more comfortable because he part, he's part of that same group. It's as subtle as that. It's, it, whatever you sell, if you, can, if you can put them in the same group of people who have bought it and they're actually similar to those people, you have a much better chance of selling it. I, I, I can't, I, I mean, you know, I could say a whole lot of things and I could give you all kinds of examples. I've used it my whole career. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and since you say toilet paper, I'll never forget the superintendent of schools that wouldn't buy it, wouldn't buy it. And when I start, started learning that lesson, uh, it changed things. But, you know, on my case, you know, that is a necessity of life. But people think that they don't need what you have because they've already got it. Yeah, yeah. But whenever the, the, the uh, uh, and I have to tell this story because I love sure. to tell it, you know, the, per the thing is, is he wouldn't buy, he wouldn't buy, wouldn't talk to me about it until he got a message from a newspaper that said, well, we're about ready to run something in the newspaper because a parent called and said there's no toilet paper for a student to go to the bathroom. Oh, no. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, he said, you've been telling me about the other school district that has this program. Get over here. I need it because I can't afford to have run out of toilet paper. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, so, you, you know, sometimes everything works out, but you're very right. If he didn't know that somebody else was, he wouldn't have felt comfortable when the time came that he needed to act. Right. And, and, and some reps, though, still get it wrong because they think, okay, well, I have testimonials. And I say, well, you know, we have like say someone's trying to buy something in Rhode Island and I say, well, you know, uh, these 15 people in Topeka, Kansas bought the same windows. It means that nothing to that matter. person. Doesn't matter. I say Topeka, Topeka information and weather and everything's different than Rhode Island. Yeah. So if you say, but, uh, there were five other customers within the last month in this town who bought the same windows, all of a sudden they feel a lot more comfortable. It's all psychological and it's all, it's not manipulative at all. It's just, it's just, it's just basically how the human brain works, and that's that's what you try. And, what, to make and what you're doing, and what you're doing, Alan, is you're telling the truth, but you're only bringing to bear the truth that matters to them in their community. And what you're saying, the social climate, 
it may, you know, it, and we can put this out on all of the social media, but what you're saying here is bring it to them in real life. Yeah, and, and, and just make, your job is to make the customer feel comfortable buying from you. And this is just one of the ways to do it. Because you're telling the truth, like, hey, these people bought these windows and they live within three miles of, of you. That's going to make them feel comfortable. Okay, so a picture's worth a thousand words. This is, uh, it's actually become a little bit of a, uh, a thing right now in the world of selling is telling stories. You know, stories have obviously, it, it's the number one way to endear someone. You need to tell stories when you're giving uh, a keynote speech or, or, or a, any type of seminar. But you also need to tell stories when you're in a sales situation. And the most effective story, now I'm talking about a story about, you know, your, your 10-year-old in the Little League has nothing to do with what you're selling. The story has to have some context to the selling, to the product, or, or to what the situation you're in. For example, this is one of my favorite studies ever done. I hope we're not running out of time. But this oh, is no, no. Time. We got all the time. Don't worry about that, Ellen. If all they right. want to come back, they can listen to the rest of it later. All That's right. nice thing about a podcast and a YouTube video. If you get tired <laughs> right now, folks, pause it, go take a toilet break, or <laughs> come back and listen to us. We'll still be talking, I got a feeling. <laughs> so here's my, one of my favorite story, story stories. Uh, regarding the context of a story with with a product, so it was actually a New York Times reporter. This is about 15 years ago. He was in he was investigating how stories can help products sell. So what he did was this is fascinating. He went to like flea markets and little yard sales and stuff, and he bought 10 literally meaningless things. And the most he ever spent was 50 50 cents. He bought like a broken ceramic horse head. He actually bought an unopened jar of mayonnaise. Someone's actually selling an unopened expired jar of mayonnaise. Okay, so uh, now I gotta ask a question. Was that Miracle Whip or actually mayonnaise? It was it was Hellman's actually. Okay, all right. <laughs> I saw the picture. I saw the picture of it. Okay, all right. Okay. I, 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 I heard that earlier. I had to ask that. Yeah. Um, one of the uh, I think it was lo a lost hotel room key and all, all of these mean you know, like a, a a bent spoon, all these crazy, stupid little things. Right. And he put, he put them all on eBay, just as what they are. So, you know, here, here's a lost hotel room key. And he put it for the same price that he bought them for, a quarter. And he couldn't sell the one of them. And none of them sold. So then, he took them, say. so then he took all of them down, and right. he actually wrote a little story for each one. He gave it context. Like he said, the, uh, the lost hotel room key came from a woman who visited from Paris looking for her lost love, or something like that, whatever the stories were. He gave them all context, and he put them back up. The most expensive one, the, the least expensive one he sold was $55. And no. the, the ceramic horse head that he bought for a quarter sold for $285. Now, that because was how many years ago? About 15 years ago. Do you know what the price of those would be like today? Right, right. And so he, he puts a disclaimer that he gave everyone their money back because he made up the stories. But the, but the point is he made over $2,000 from these 10 items because he added a story to them. Correct. And that's it. So if he you can add a story. Yeah. He, he, I, I joke when I give a seminar, I say, you know, the, the silver spoon that's in an antique shop is sitting on the counter. It's just a silver spoon for 10 bucks because it's just a silver spoon. Absolutely. But if that's the spoon that Paul Revere used to, to stir his tea before he got on that horse, guess what? That's a $10,000 silver spoon. Same spoon. So, so, so you talked about baseball earlier. So that baseball is just a baseball until Mickey Mantle hit it over. 
thousand percent. Yep. It's, it, it just comes down. To, so let's say, for example, um, from a story, from a, uh, a product standpoint, I had a customer use this as an example in, in actual real life that worked. So you're a copy machine salesman. I right. mean, how difficult is that? Every copy machine does exactly the same thing. Just like for you, toilet paper does the exactly same thing. You got you to come up with a way to make you different. Right. So, in, so he used to go in and the company trains them. You got to go in and you got to features and benefits, features and benefits. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. oh my God, oh, yeah. features and benefits. So, <laughs> and so the people look for a cod machine like, oh, this one does 500 copies a minute. This one does 600. This one does color. They just want something that works. So what I told them to do was instead of going over the features and benefits, tell them, you know what? Our copy machine is just as good as anyone else's, but our copy machine has saved a lot of people uh, from some embarrassment. For example, I had a customer once whose daughter needed flyers for her uh, Girl Scout cookie sale, and the the place that was supposed to do them didn't do them for her. So she came crying to to me, and I ran to the copy machine and I made a hundred color flyers in about five minutes. And this machine didn't let me down, and she and she saved the day, and she sold fifty boxes of Girl Scout cookies. Who are you going to buy the cotton machine from? Yeah. The cotton yeah, machine has a story. You want to help yourself cookies. Yeah, exactly. Same cotton machine has a story. And you become more of a person because you're telling a story. You're not just a salesman anymore. And, 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 and so what you're saying, Alan, here is when we, whenever we tell the story, it has to be real. It has to be verifiable. And we have to add ourselves. We have to add our passion to it. And that's back to your body language. A story is only a story unless I make that story real, too. Yeah, you can't tell a story and sound like a salesperson doing it, like a fake story. That's not going to work. It has to be a real story. It has to, if it involves a customer that's like them, even better. I had a, uh, I had a, a, a contractor ask me for some advice, and I told him, instead of sitting there and just talking about how great the kitchen is that you can build, talk about the kitchens you've already built for people in the same neighborhood and for people who look like the person in front of you. And he said he, everything changed because he was always battling for the lowest price. Everybody wanted the lowest price. But then when he started telling stories about his kitchens, it wasn't no longer about the, the lowest price. It was about, I, I want to work with this guy, no matter how much it costs. All right. So crack stories the, are huge. Crack the window. I, I, I thought that was an interesting one. So that goes back to the anxiety we spoke about earlier that everybody has purchase anxiety. And one of my favorite examples of purchase anxiety, because everybody is not a person alive who has gone shopping in a supermarket that has not felt this. So you're online at the supermarket, you've got a basket full of food, and you're getting ready to pay, and you've got anxiety. Everybody does. You're like, oh boy, how much is this going to be? I've got a basket full of, you know, this is going to be, you just start sweating a little bit. Again, your heart rate goes up slightly. What do you do? When you get close to where the side things are, you take out a bag of chips and a pack of gum and you feel a lot better. <laughs> that's you. That's you relieving the anxiety. That's you cracking the window. You didn't do anything to reduce the price by anything significant. No, nothing significant. Nothing, but you, you did something to help relieve the anxiety. The human body, the human brain, when there's anxiety, the first thing and the only thing it wants to do is get rid of it. Right. So... In a selling situation, if you did not make the customer feel comfortable with what you sold or, or however you did it, you get to the point and they come up with the, with the most famous objection, I got to think about it. They don't have to think about it. That's them relieving the anxiety because it's giving their body, say, okay, 
I'm not going to make a decision. I'm going to tell this guy, I'm going to think about it. Whew, now I don't have to make a decision. And then they train you, okay, how do you handle that objection? Well, you handle that objection by not getting that objection in the first place. If you are, if you're doing all these things that I, that I put in my book, right? Pretty much eight times out of 10, you're going to get to the point where the customer is either going to say, yes, I'm going to do this or no, I can't afford it. They can't afford it. They can't afford it. It's not in their budget. There's nothing you can do about that. But you so never that, want them to say no because they don't like you. That's so then let me ask a question then, Alan. Do we really, I mean, because everybody needs to release stress. And you call it anxiety, stress, the whole, that whole, that whole thing. Mm -hmm. Now, what I found and what I did is I would always confront that and always get rid of that way in the start of any presentation, any situation. And, and, you know, every sales call, every cold call, even if it's a customer you already know, I always went with, before I ever started talking about what I was there for, was to find out if their agenda had changed since my last conversation. So I always let them get rid of any anxiety they had and tell me what they needed to tell me before we went into the conversation mm -hmm. about what I needed to talk about. Is, is that still true? Yeah, it's, it's still true because you're, you're acknowledging, you're, you're letting the customer feel comfortable with the conversation. So I, 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 you know, that, that's how I relieve the anxiety right up front. I'll say, just so you know, I'm not here to give you a sales presentation. I'm not here to do a dog and pony show. I'm here to figure out what your problems are and how we can solve them. And again, just starting with that is so much more better because the customer, you can literally see the customer's anxiety or their defenses, defense walls that they put up, they, they drop because you're no longer the typical salesperson that they've seen before. And then, you know, your, your strategy was having them talk about whatever was, you know, giving them anxiety. That's a great one because it's talking about it gets it out. So some of the things that I do here at the Academy of Cleaning Excellence, we have education, but we're run by and we're empowered by Gym Supply, which is a supplier of goods. Mm -hmm. So they come in, they know we sell product here, but they come into the education department. And so the first thing I tell them is, I'm not here to sell you anything. I'm here to educate you and make you a better consumer. We don't talk about prices in class. I do use the items of the trade. Now, after class is over, if you want to talk about purchasing what you've learned, then we'll talk, but not right. in class. It takes away all of that anxiety that you're talking about. A thousand percent. It's a great strategy to do that. Yep. And, and, and if you become the consultant or the educator rather than the seller, again, you'll sell more. Like you said at the very beginning, you're, you, if you're consulting and not selling. And again, people have you know, project consultant on their business card, but they're not consultants. They're salespeople. And they're going to be 30% salespeople because that's what they're trying to do is all the time is just trying to hit numbers. Or, or then you know, the worst case scenario, they get, they get into the deception and how to and pressure and all of that stuff. And then, you know, hey, I closed 40%, but how many cancellations do you have? Because the customer is 100% not comfortable with what they just did. Okay, so we gotta get to the price. Come on, let's get to the price. Oh, one of my favorite, one of my favorite chapters. Come on, I, can Come on, write, I, I can't I, do this without getting to the price. You can't do it without getting to the price. I love pricing psychology. It's one of my favorite subjects. I, I, I'm thinking of almost doing a whole book on it because it's just so fascinating. There's so many things you can do with a price to help sell your product and most companies except in a retail if you're if you're in retail you know you own a store obviously price is everything but most other companies 
they, they don't consider price as a psychological way to help sell the product. And what I mean by that is they'll just come up with the price like, all right, you know, my, my wholesale is $2. I'm going to triple that. I'm going to sell the product for eight. And that's it. it. That's what I need to, to, to have a profit margin. That's what I need to pay my insurance, to pay my employees. I need to sell for eight bucks. All right. Well, they're not looking at that. That number eight looks a hell of a lot more expensive than the number 799. There's reasons for retail pricing the way it is because psychologically, and they're still doing thousands of studies on this, like why is 799 so much better than eight? Why is 999 so much better than 10? It's only one cent. But psychologically, right. the customer feels much more comfortable because they think it's a lesser price. And that's just a, a really basic one. And that's but, been around forever. Yeah, it's been around forever. But if you're in a situation where, where you sell windows or toilet paper or, you know, copy machines, this is the price. But they, the price just becomes a product of numbers and algorithms. The price actually should be thought about in how it's presented to the customer. So here, here's, here's one that's, that's really effective. Okay. You always should present your price in three with the, with the psychological advantage of, of, for the customer to purchase the larger number. All so, right. for example, I'm going to give you an example, and this is usually better to be visual, but hopefully you can, you can follow along. Oh, I, so I can follow your story. I'm, I'm so, getting ready for the story now. So, so there's a movie theater manager who had popcorn for sale. The small popcorn was $4, and the large popcorn was $8. 85% of his sales was on the small popcorn. Everyone said, give me the small popcorn and a soda, and they were done. He's like, how do I sell more large, larger popcorns because my profit margin's higher? So what he did, he put a medium option in there, but instead of making the medium $6, like you would think, 4 6 and 8 he made the medium $7. Uh -huh. So now as a consumer, you're looking at that, you see four for small, medium seven, but I can get a large for only a dollar more? Give me and the large popcorn. 97% of his sales after that went to the large popcorn. Nobody, and he said nobody, ever bought a medium. Small was like, you know, 3%, they bought it for the kids, but everybody bought the large popcorn because psychologically, you now thought that that was a much better deal. So if you can do that in your pricing as you present it, you're gonna get, you're gonna get bigger, bigger sales that way. That's well, just one. I, I, you might see me doing something because the machine's telling me that that we've talked too long. Uh oh, are we yeah. losing the recording? Okay, we got we got to extend this meeting so a little bit longer. So here, I got it. Hang on, hang on. Yeah, not anywhere. I'll be here. But it wanted it wanted to cut us off, so I had to extend our meeting. I told you, you know, hey, if you want to go get coffee and, and a hot dog, you know, <laughs> it's almost lunchtime for you and I. That's okay. I'm, I'm good. Okay, so um, uh, folks, if you're still with us, we're, we're, we didn't go anywhere. We had a little bit of a glitch. If it glitched there for a minute, don't worry about it. Uh, we're, we're still talking because sales is something that we're both passionate about. Yes. Now, I also found some things that if I can get this up here, ACMA. Now, you yes. know what? We all use little you know, acronyms for things and stuff, but I'm like, okay. That's an interesting one. I hadn't heard. So ACMA is something that I came up with myself because it's, it's to me, it's not only just about sales. It's about how you live your life and how you motivate yourself and, and how you do things to keep yourself accountable. If you want, if you're going to be successful, you have to keep yourself accountable and, and you have to follow some sort of path that you set for yourself. 
Right. So in the in the in in the years of, of selling and then starting to write the book, I came up with these these four things that I do that turned into it's called ACMA, and ACMA stands for uh, animate, calibrate, motivate, and adulate. And what that means is these are the four things you should do as uh, individually to help you achieve your goals. So animate, and this is going to be a very quick flyover, but animate is obviously animate means to put into motion, to bring to life. For, in, in the context of ACMA, it means start. You can't do anything without starting. You have to start. You have to animate yourself to get into motion to do what you need to do to get toward that goal. Right. Yeah, you can't wait. If you don't start now, you're not going to get started at all. Yeah, you don't start. You, you can't wait. Robert Kiyosaki, one of, one of my favorite quotes is, if you wait for all the lights to turn green, you're going to be sitting in the driveway forever. You just got to go. <laughs> you just got to go. Okay. Uh, so uh, calibrate is another huge one that's important. So calibrate is always considered uh, toward machinery. I got to calibrate my microscope. I got to calibrate the weight machine. All of a sudden, you got you to calibrate them to make sure it's doing the right thing. But in this context, how about you calibrate yourself? So once a week on Monday mornings at 10 a.m., my phone pops up and it says calibrate. And whatever I'm doing, I stop what I'm doing and I calibrate myself. And I say, okay, am I on the right track to where I want to be? And sometimes I find out, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. But sometimes I'm like, oh, I kind of veered off here this week because I was busy dealing with this stuff. Let me, let me put myself back on the right. Let me recalibrate myself so I'm, I'm Let me get right back way. in order. Yes, let me get back in order. So calibrate to me is one of the more important things to do in this, in this acronym. M is for motivate. Obviously, motivate is, is, is everyone knows to motivate, but the key is you got to figure out how to motivate yourself. So many people are motivated by different things. You need to find out what motivates you the most and apply that within this so you keep doing it. What, what motivates you? What, what keeps you going? And that could be different from week to week. So Monday to Monday, it's different for you. Exactly. So, so, you know, uh, you know, is, is motivation, um, you know, hitting your goal is motivation, basically looking in the mirror in the morning and say, Hey, handsome, I'm ready to kill the day. All these different things, so many different motivational techniques, find the one that works for you. All right. And, and then the final one is, is also important. It's called adulate. <clears throat> and it's, and some people get this confused on like, Oh, I, I need to, I need to talk about myself. I need to build myself up. No, yeah, you need to adulate yourself. You need to, you need to be um, proud of yourself. And what I mean by that is if you, if you achieve a goal, treat yourself. Buy yourself a bottle of wine. Take yourself golfing. Don't just say, all right, I did it. Let me go on to the next one. Actually take a breath and, and um, celebrate the success yourself personally. If you, if you, if you, if you follow self-adulation, you'll just feel much better as a person because you're, you're achieving your goals and you're actually rewarding yourself for those, for those achievements. So that's yeah, what those were. What, what client really wants to deal with somebody that's not happy about themselves and having, you know, a good time, you know, who isn't excited about life in general. You know, it, it's like I always had customers that say, every time you come in here, you're, you're always happy. And yeah. I said, no, I'm happy. I'm here. We're doing business together. We, we've got a relationship. Right. You know, and, and I think that's one of the key things. And I like all of the things that you have there. Mm -hmm. As you went around the world and you have the books and you've taught this, how many people have you followed up with? And what's the, you know, I, I guess that's it. You know, we can talk about this, 
you know, I have a motivational program we have here at the academy called the Rockstar Custodian. Mm-hmm. And I just presented that to another uh, uh, organization that's not in the custodial industry, but I've called it Be a Rockstar. And it's all motivational. It's what you and I are talking about, communication, body language, motivation, all of these things. Now, the question is always, how many people follow through with what we tell them? Yeah, and, and you bring up a great point. I have, it in, I have it in my book under the motivation section. I think the number, the last survey that I found, 94% of people who purchase motivational tapes and books or read them or, or programs, 94% never finish them. The 6% that do are incredibly successful. So you're right. You can go to as many seminars, you read as many books as you want, but if you don't apply any of it, it doesn't matter. It, it just doesn't matter. So you have to apply the principle. I even said that in the book. I said, you know, thanks for reading the book, but if you don't do anything about it, the end of the book is not the end of the book. It's the beginning for you. This is where you start. This is where you, this is where you animate yourself to get going. To answer your question, I did, I did some work with a solar company here in Rhode Island and they, I, I met with the two owners and they said, we're going to implement all of this. And literally a week later, all of their sales reps were texting them with sales that they made. But instead of saying, I sold Mrs. Smith for a $30,000 solar project, they were texting, I helped Mrs. Smith with her solar project today. They changed their terminology to helping percentage. Their sales have gone up 45% since they've implemented these very basic changes. So yeah, it works if you do it. Now, 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 as a speaker, as an author, as a motivator, as you and I are, isn't that the reason we do what we do? I love it. Uh, You know, for me, helping people, educating people, um, speaking. I mean, speaking for me, like so many people are scared to death of public speaking. But for me, it's like my happy place. I love to do it because I love having an impact on someone. And, and even if it's one person in a room of 100, if they had an impact and they leave there and, and, and that's going to change some part of their life, I'm, I'm good with that. You know, Ellen, you I, and I, I could probably talk for even more. Than <laughs> we didn't quite make an hour today, but, you know, I think we scheduled this for 30 to 45 minutes. And, folks, we've went way over that. Uh, I appreciate that you've been with us, uh, whether you're listening on Podbean or whatever uh, streaming method that you get, whether you're watching on YouTube, even if you're watching an archive or listening to an archive version, this is all relative no matter what. You were talking about some things that are 15 years old. This is yeah. still dealing with human nature, isn't it, Alan? It's, it's been around since Galileo came up with his, you know, his methods of speech and communication. It's, it's not going away. It's the human brain and how the human brain reacts to things. And if you can do that and, and make people or help people feel comfortable with you and your product or service, you're just going to be a much more successful salesperson and you're going to feel a lot better about what you do. So you can go to find this book right behind me if you're watching, Seven yep. Secrets of Selling More by Selling Less. Yeah, that's it, on Amazon. It's uh, on Amazon and you can also find everything about Alan and a-L-L-A-N-G-E-R.com. Right, so right? Yep, so it's Al Langer. So it's two L's in there. Al and then Langer, L-A-N-G-E-R.com. Yep. And you'll be glad to talk with them. Uh, they can listen to your podcast. They can listen to this one. You know what? I think if you and I were on again, we could just pick right up, and I think we could have a whole lot more to talk about. 
We could. And listen, uh, for your listeners, I'll, I'll offer this. The first email I get that mentions your podcast, I'll send them a free book, a signed copy of my book. Now, I couldn't beat that. Can I? <laughs> I don't even have a copy of your book, so I need to do that. Oh, well, I have to send you a copy of the book as well as a thank you for having me on. <laughs> now, you see, folks, the thing, see, the thing is, if you don't ask, you can't get. So, see, I asked, and I've got a free book. You can, too. It's going to be in the mail, so you don't worry about it. <laughs> Alan, I appreciate you being on. I'm, uh, you know what? I'm glad that we made a connection. Uh, uh, we're right here before the Christmas the holiday season, so I have to say uh, happy holidays and have a good one, and I'm sure that we will talk in the new year. I, I hope we do. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. So, you know what, folks, if you're watching on our podcast or you're watching on YouTube, please share and like what we're doing here. You've been to the Academy of Cleaning Excellence, maybe. You've listened to some of what we have. Here at the Academy, we have three words, healthy, positive, and proactive. Whatever you do, please make sure that you follow those words. This is Dave Thompson, Director of the Academy of Cleaning Excellence, and we're signing off for another episode. Thanks for watching or listening.